0: went In between the last time I came, I was here, and today, I went on a missions trip to Nicaragua. It was a short one, uh, but I had, the, I had the blessing to go, and I, I'm sure I've mentioned it. I started a Bible school there uh, two years ago. It's, we're about to complete the, the second year, which means we're going to have graduates, and so I went to go and, and schedule the, the graduation with the team that's in Nicaragua, and so I shared some pictures of Pastor Mike, and I, I didn't plan on sharing them here, Uh, you know, he's just a friend. And so he's like, Hey, just confirming you're going to be here on Sunday. And so I said, yeah, by the way, look, I just come back from Nicaragua. And he's like, can you share those with the church? So I'm not really a a self promoter of any kind. You know, I try to be, I just try to, uh, you know, be thankful for the opportunities the Lord has provided. I don't want to try to present myself like, look what I do for the Lord or anything like that. Uh, wherever the Lord sends me, I'm willing to go, um, but Pastor Mike thought it would be uh, an encouragement to the church to share. So I, I just have a few pictures. I don't know if we can uh, maybe maybe uh, put them up. And so I, six years ago in August, I went on a missions trip with about 13 members of my church. And we went to the school. Really interesting story. This couple got saved uh, older in life, maybe I think in their late 50s or something like that. And so they didn't know the Lord and they had they'd worked their jobs and then maybe I think accumulated, uh, you know, good wealth to retire with. And then uh, they got saved and all of a sudden they, they just had a heart for the mission field. And denominationally, they weren't qualified. Uh, they were, they were at kind of past the age of where usually missionaries go. But it was so evident to de- denominational leadership that there was a call of God on their life and a hand of God on their life that they let them go through the process, and they went to uh, Managua, Nicaragua. So if, in case you don't know, uh, Nicaragua is the second poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere. The only nation that's poor is Haiti. And so within Managua, Nicaragua, the poorest neighborhood is a neighborhood uh, that's called, we call or you know, over there it's called it a barrio. Uh, it's, it's called Akawalinka. And what happened to, when the, with Akawalinka, it's right on the edge of Lake Managua, and which is in the, you know on the city, and a hurricane came through and blew that whole neighborhood into the into the lake. So now there's there's like uh, you know plywood Kwanzaa hut style. No, there's no zip code down there. You couldn't mail them anything. There's uh, sporadic uh, you know sewage and electricity. A lot of people live like that. You'll see a whole family of eight people, ten people living in one room. I mean, not even half the size of the sanctuary. And so we went to this neighborhood, so the poorest neighborhood in the in the uh, in the second poorest nation in all the Western Hemisphere. And we went, we got to go there. But right in the middle of that neighborhood, it was John and Wilma Hall. Uh, I, so, I was so you know blessed by their testimony. They went down there to that neighborhood. They get they bought a little truck and they do children's ministry. And in that neighborhood, there's about 400 children. And so they started a school and they ha- they'd invite missions teams to come and do construction project and they built this you know pretty. Pretty uh, modest, two-story school, and it teach them Christian values and give them an education. And so they have they have, they had up to a hundred kids, average maybe fifty, and so it kind of goes up and down based on support. So we went there, and so the, the kids to me they were they were just beautiful. Like uh, me and the whole team, me and my wife, my daughter was with me. Uh, my daughter's been I've been blessed to have my daughter with me on the missions field, so she now has a heart for missions. But we fell in love with these kids. So right away, I asked a missionary that we work with. I said, how much does it cost to support this school uh, monthly? And he gave me the amount. And so I went to my church and said, I want everybody in the church to give $20 a month. And, you know, together we'll we'll fund this school. we were able to do that many years. But I'm not at the church anymore. But my heart's still there, so I go back. So I went went and had a trip with them. And these are not all the kids. Most of them are there right now or there at that time. But they all ran up to me, and they grabbed my legs and hugged me. And, you know, that's very heartwarming and melting. But I took a picture with them. And so that's, that's some of the, the beautiful kids of that neighborhood in Manawa, Nicaragua. So if we can show the next picture. Okay, it's going to kind of be out of order. Those are some of the students that will be graduating uh, in, in either uh, early January or late December. These are people who have studied the Word of God for two years and, uh, and are doing really, really well. So I, I met with them, encouraged them, thanked them for uh, following. Because Nicaragua also, that. The academics there, um, it's very challenging for them to study, so I, I, just, I, don't, I don't know what else to say about that, but they stuck with it, and they're about to complete a two-year program. So this is back to the school. Those are, the, those are three teachers. There's one that wasn't there that day, but the one to my left on the picture to my right in person, she's a coordinator, and I'm just going to tell you something she said to me. So in that neighborhood, they evangelize a lot. They go door to door. I did that in the neighborhood, and we, you know, we went and prayed for a lot of people in their homes. But uh, they've been evangelizing, trying to invite families to come, and they're actually trying to start a church out of the school. And so they'll invite parents, but parents, they said, to, so the, the team that goes evangelizes says the parents won't come. They, you know, we invite them, and we invite them, and they just won't come. Only the kids come. So she has such a great attitude. She said, well, then if only the kids come, then let's just minister to the kids. And she said, what better soil is there to sow into than children? And so I loved her attitude, and you know I work with Operation Christmas Child as part of Samaritan's Purse. It's the largest project of Samaritan's Purse, and it's uh, also our missionary project. And so everything we do is evangelistic, uh, meant to reach you know, the loss for Christ, but it's our largest missionary project. We're, we're, over, we're in over 120 nations around the world, including the unreached people groups. But when she said that, it just resonated with me. What better soil is there to sow into than children? And if a child gets saved between the ages of four, and I believe it's either 14 or 15, let's just say 14, there's a good chance that they'll serve Christ for the rest of their lives. So children's children's ministry is invaluable in a church and wherever we take the gospel. Uh, next picture. So this, is a, so this is a leadership service. I just happened to be there saying, would you speak at this service? And so um, that's, in Spanish, that's the title of the message I spoke. Can we go to the next picture? So that's... Um, uh, conservatively, over five hundred people, uh, leaders from over seventeen locations around the nation, and so I had the privilege of speaking to them. And so uh, it was it was a wonderful evening. And the people in, in Nicaragua are just so hungry for God that they just during worship time they just come to they just flood the altar and they're just crying out to God. And it's just and it's just amazing. And so it was just a, a wonderful, wonderful time uh, that we had with the Lord. And so one of the great opportunities that I'm so thankful to the Lord for. And I don't know if there's maybe one more picture. Yeah, that's, that's them during worship. They just, they, they couldn't get enough. And here's a beautiful story that, that, that speaks about the Lord's power to turn around a nation. Uh, Nicaragua, just 20 years ago, was, 90, was 90% Catholic. Uh, as of today, it's 50% evangelical. I mean, I, I think the Lord des- deserves a hand of praise for that, right? That's turning a nation around. Ninety percent Catholic now fifty percent, and whenever we go, we always at the airport and in different places there 's medical missions there 's uh, you know dental missions there 's evangelical or, or evangelistic and, and construction it 's like God is just seem to have deployed so many resources and you're seeing the kingdom impact of it. God has put his, his side on this nation. I think mean, God's hearts with the poor. If you want to get God's attention, you want, you want to see God, uh, put his focus somewhere. Be, uh, he has a heart for the poor. He has a heart for children. He has a heart for the widow. Those who are marginalized kind of on the sidelines, God like intentionally sets out to, to watch over them and bless them. So, um, God's done that in, in, in Nicaragua. So anyway, so um, I'm sharing those with you. I hope there's some encouragement. Of course, somebody said missionaries use this phrase. They say uh, God only had one son, and He made Him a missionary, right? He sent Him from heaven uh, to earth. And so I encourage you support missions. Uh, you know, it's 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 part. Of, you know, it's God's heart to reach the lost, and so that's what they that's what the missionaries do. And if you want more information about uh, how to support this this school in any way, the the children's school, how to pray for them or whatever, feel free to talk to me after service. All right. All right. Praise the Lord. I hope you were encouraged by that. So, so when, I, when, I, when I speak, you know, in a service, I'm usually will be, I try to be attentive, right? He who has an ear, uh, hear what the Spirit is saying. And so throughout the worship, I heard many, many confirmations of what the Lord had put on my heart to speak today. So I hope you'll, you'll notice them too. And I appreciate the testimony. From a Lookout to Law Enforcement, right? I mean, that, that could be the title of a book, From a Lookout to Law Enforcement, right? So how awesome is that? Praise the Lord. All right, would you open your Bibles with me to the, the book of Mark chapter 10? Mark chapter 10. Verse 46, I'm going to grab my water. Mark chapter 10, verse 46, and it reads as follows. Now they came to Jericho, and speaking of Jesus and the disciples. Now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho, Jesus coming out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Raboni, or Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Father, we thank you that we can be gathered uh, together in your house today. We thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for a wonderful time of worship we've enjoyed together. Lord, as we, as we glean from your word, Lord, we ask you to speak to us. May our hearts be open to receive. Speak to each and every one of us. May, be, may each of us be so impacted by your word, we'll, we'll leave differently than we came in, better and closer to you uh, because of your word. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we say amen. So this story of Bartimaeus is found in three of the four Gospels. It's found in Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke. I'm I'm pulling from Mark because Mark uh, has kind of most of the detail in his version of the story. So whenever you see a story repeated in more than one Gospel, in in two Gospels or three Gospels, uh, it it indicates that this miracle or this story, uh, this teaching, had uh, a greater impact on the disciples and those that were there. And so this this uh, miracle is recorded in three of the four gospels and there's only actually one miracle that's repeated in all four gospels and that's the breaking of the bread and so that that it seemed to impact the disciples uh more than any other and, and we can only speculate why and kind of try to determine and discern from the scripture but most likely because that's the miracle where they were involved right so it wasn't just them watching Jesus heal Bartimaeus you know, him touching somebody and healing them or somebody touching his garment and, he, and being healed. This is the the bread passed through their hands. So can you imagine there's approximately 15,000 people there, 5,000 men. They have their wife and their kids with them. Approximately 15,000 people were there is the estimates that we hear. Could be 12 up to 15. 15 not not stretching it. And so can you imagine going back when you, when you have five loaves and two fish and going back and feeding 15,000 people and you're the instrument that has to keep going back and delivering the bread and delivering the fish? And I was, I'm was sure, pretty sure it was a long day, serving all day, feeding people, but that miracle passing through their hands. When you're, when you're part of the miracle, it seems to impact and, and leave, a, uh, leave a, a deeper imprint on your heart. And so that, that miracle, the breaking of the bread and the feeding of the 5,000, Uh, is recorded in all four Gospels. So this one, this story, obviously had an impact as well because it's in three of the four Gospels. So we're told that Jesus is leaving Jericho and he's headed to Jerusalem. Now within a week from this story, Jesus will be hanging on a cross, dying for the sins of the world. So he's he's on his way and we, we know when we read the scriptures, that he, he's already starting to feel the weight of what he's about to endure, right? Jesus was fully God and, and fully man. And you know what's interesting is, I, like I said, I had so many uh, you know, confirmations, I feel. I don't need the confirmations. I, I prayed and God put this, this a miracle on my heart to share with you. But me and my son were talking last night. Uh, My oldest son, he's in seminary. He goes to Southern Seminary, uh, working on his MDiv. And we were talking, this is like, this is so great, right? Me and my son are having a discussion about the Trinity, that's just so fun, right? And he's he's in the middle of his studies, so he has all this fresh, you know, theology to share with me. And I'm just like, oh man, I'm like getting choked up, you know, because he's just sharing. But he he, we were talking about the Trinity. So when the first song we sing is in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, I'm like, yes, we're on track, right? I, that's that's how I see things. I try to see, hear things, see, you know, what the Lord is doing and saying. So it's really wonderful. And then and then the story, of blessed assurance written by a blind woman. We're talking about a blind man, so right? And she saw things. She had vision despite being blind. She could see Christ, though she didn't have physical sight. Spiritually, obviously, she had vision. And obviously, Bartimaeus had vision, too, because and I'll talk about this, but it's it's as if he saw himself being healed. He was it's almost was in his heart after hearing about Christ. He's like, Man, if Jesus comes by, I could see myself in front of him and him healing me of my sight because I know that he's the son of David, right? Which is to say a lot, and I'll, and I'll explain that a little bit. But he's leaving Jericho, headed to Jerusalem, about to die on the cross. You think there's a lot on his heart, a lot on his mind? Definitely there was. And Jericho. I think we, those of us who've been around serving the Lord for a while, we know that this is a famous city in the Old Testament, right? We probably learned, if you went to Sunday school, you probably heard about the walls of Jericho. We sing songs about the walls of Jericho coming down, and so it's a city that's famous for the walls coming down. And so here comes Jesus about 1,400 years later, and Interestingly enough, he's he's knocking down walls, right? What kind of walls? What am I talking about? In this story, Jesus is knocking down the walls of blindness, right? He's knocking down walls. Jesus is still knocking down walls today in Hollister, California, right? He's knocking down walls of spiritual blindness. He's knocking down walls of addiction. He's knocking down walls of anger, of violence, of lust, of envy, covetousness, insecurity, shame, Guilt, idolatry, discouragement, and so much more. He still knocks down those walls. We just heard a living testimony of how he knocked down the walls in the life of a drug dealer in a dope house and how his son became the sheriff. Can you imagine that? If that's not a beautiful testimony of the redemptive power of God, then I don't know if, what, what else could there be, right? He knocked down the walls in this family and he turned it around, and that's what he does. Jesus knocks down walls not just of a city, but in our personal lives. I think that's a good time to say amen. Jesus came to knock down walls in our lives as a result of sin and the fallen world that we live in. And so Bartimaeus is this blind man. He's on the side of the road begging for money. This is how he exists. This is, this is what he lives off of. He hears Jesus And his disciples in the multitude, so he hears this commotion. He's positioned outside of the city because it's on a main road where people come in and out. So this is a a, a place where he most likely will get the most offerings or alms, we would say. And so he's positioned in a place where he could collect as much as possible. So he's told Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now ordinarily to a beggar, this means more people means more money, so he would have sought to gain more money. Maybe, perhaps, he would cry out for, hey, please help me, or, you know, uh, I'm blind. I need, I need help. Please be generous, or, or whatever, you know, he, words he would use. But in this instance, we find out that more than money, Bartimaeus wants his sight. He wants his sight even more than money. And Jesus passing by meant an opportunity to see. And this may be his only opportunity, and in fact it would be, because once Jesus leaves Jericho, he's never coming back. He goes to Jerusalem, he spends the last week of his life there, and then he ends up dying on the cross of Calvary. So as far as Jesus, phys- Jesus physically walking on earth, this would be his last opportunity, and he, and he treated it as such. And so Jesus meant an opportunity to see for Bartimaeus. So Bartimaeus obviously must have heard about Jesus. He must have heard about Jesus, about the miracles, about the healings. He must have heard of the stories of his, his mercy on the sick and his compassion and, and his good works. Because as soon as he hears that it's Jesus of Nazareth, he begins to cry out in a loud voice. He's crying out in a la- loud voice. So it says that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. But do you notice that he didn't say, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me? He didn't say, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. He says, son of David, have mercy on me. There's a big difference. Jesus of Nazareth is more of an earthly name, right? Jesus had several titles, a son of man, the son of David, the son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, and others. But to to call him son of David meant something else. And so Jesus of Nazareth, is his earthly name, but he cries out, Son of David. See, what he was doing when he was appealing to Jesus, the Son of David, and, and he's appealing to the Son of David, which is a, a reference to the Old Testament, so he's referring, he's, he's appealing to the Son of David at all that's embedded in that name. And let me share with you some things uh, that are embedded in that name. By calling Jesus the Son of David, he was calling him the Messiah. Not everybody had kind of caught that picture yet. That he was the Messiah. In fact, there was a lot of resistance to him referring to himself as the Messiah, as the Son of God. And so he was calling him the Messiah. And theologians will say he was referring to his messianic dignity. He was referring to his messianic dignity. And confessing Jesus was the Christ, and he was confessing, by using that name, confessing, I know that you're the Christ, and I know that you can heal me. You can give me back My sight. So when it's just like when we call God Jehovah, or you know, some people say Jehovah Jireh or Yahweh Yireh. Right? Yahweh is the more appropriate term. But when we refer to him as Yahweh Yireh, uh, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my Provider, that kind of rhymes a little better, right? But uh, when we refer to those names, what we're what we're saying is we're, we're demonstrating understanding that he's the God who provides, and so. When we call him Yahweh, what we're referring to is that we know that your name carries renown. We, we understand who you are and your reputation as God. And so it, 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 uh, it bears his very being. So when we call him Yahweh, Yireh or Jehovah, Jireh, we're, so we're specifically uh, revealing that we understand that you are the God who provides. You've proven yourself. It's in your character. It's part of your attributes. Not only do you provide, but he's a generous God. He's a gracious God. He's a benevolent God. He always, he always gives us more than we could ever expect when we put our faith and trust in him. He's a, he's a gracious, loving God, and he's a, He's Jehovah Jireh. So, whenever we find ourselves in need, whenever whenever we find ourselves in need of provision, when when we need protection, you're you're Yahweh Nisi, the Lord, our banner. You go before us, right? I mean, we can appeal to his name, Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals. And so, we can appeal. What we're doing is we're appealing, we're saying, we know you're God and we understand these specific attributes about you. So, I'm appealing to to that attribute because I know it's part of your very being. Isn't that wonderful? And so it's son of David. Bartimaeus is calling him son of David. And like I said, not everybody during that time, not even the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the Sadducees, and, and the various religious groups and scribes didn't see didn't see. They didn't see the works. They didn't see the miracles. They didn't see the healings and conclude, this is the son of David, because they didn't want to. They, they, he didn't fit the mold that they expected. Jesus was so much more than what they were anticipating. But in Matthew 12, and 23, it says, then they brought to Jesus a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. But listen to verse 23, Matthew 12, verse 23. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? So they're seeing him fulfill Old Testament prophecy, and they still look at him and say, hmm, could this be the son of David? He's doing exactly what the Old Testament said he would do, and yet there's still something impeding them from accepting that he was the son of David. And let me assure you, which I'm sure, or reassure you, which I'm pretty sure you don't need reassuring, but Jesus was The son of David. He was the son of David, the one prophesied of in the Old Testament. The one who would descend from David. We see it, we see it in Isaiah. We see it more pronounced in Isaiah, probably than any other Old Testament book, but uh Isaiah 9-7, he'll be born of a virgin. He'll be from everlasting. Right? That's that means he's eternal. He's the son of David. Isaiah 29, 18 and 35, 35. if anybody's taking notes, Isaiah 29, 18. 35 verse five, it prophesied that the son of David would, would actually open blind eyes, open blind eyes. Literally, it would say when the son of David comes, the Messiah comes, the Christ comes, he'll literally, physically open blind eyes. We've never, they, when, when Jesus would heal blind eyes, people would say, we've never seen this before. We've, we've never seen this. Who, who does this? The son of David does this, right? So it was to this title, That Bartimaeus appealed, son of David. This name had meaning. So Bartimaeus cries out because he's desperately, he knows this is possibly the only opportunity he has to to receive his sight. And if you notice, people tried to discourage Bartimaeus. He said, there were people telling him, be quiet. Stop. You're going to bother the master. So people were trying to shut him up. And Bartimaeus refused to be discouraged. When they told him to be quiet, guess what he did? He cried even louder because he he was desperate and he knew this was his opportunity. Christ is coming by. The son of David is passing by. This is my opportunity to receive my sight. And you know what's interesting about this even more? It wasn't worldly people that were trying to discourage him. It wasn't unbelievers. It was believers, that's interesting to me. Believers were the one that was trying to discourage him from crying out to Christ, right? And, and if we're being honest, sometimes believers will try to discourage us, right? I think for the most part, most of our brothers and sisters mean, mean well, but occasionally it'll happen where a brother or sister in the Lord might say something that's discouraging to us. And I mentioned that, because I know it happens. I've pastored for many, 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 many years. Um, I know that happens. But I want to encourage you, to, don't, don't, don't let yourself be discouraged. But let's believe the best in each other. And let's just guard our hearts. From time to time, people just don't understand. Sometimes people just don't know what to say. So let's, let's just give it to the Lord. Believe that our brothers and sisters mean the best for us. And ultimately, let's guard our hearts. Right? Let's just guard our hearts and not, not hold defense or not become bitter towards a brother and sister in Christ because I believe we all, for the most part, want what's best for each other. And so we guard our hearts. So Bartimaeus yells all the more. He persisted. Persistence, persistence in prayer is very important. And if we want the Lord to touch the areas of our lives that need His grace, there, there are going to be times when we have to be persistent like the, like the widow in Luke 18. So there's this large crowd. If you've ever been in crowds, there's a lot, lot of commotion, a lot of noise going on. Yet somehow, somehow Bartimaeus' cry reaches the ears of the Lord. Somehow his cry reaches the. The ears of the Lord. Now, I don't necessarily believe that he could yell so loud that he can yell over a crowd of hundreds, possibly thousands of people. I don't necessarily believe that to reach the Lord, we have to be, you know, our volume has to be at its maximum. I believe we can be like Hannah, who when she was bearing a crowd to the Lord and she would open her mouth and no words would come out. It was the cry of her heart that was really being poured out before the Lord. Sometimes, have you, has any, here, anybody here ever been in that situation when you, you just kind of were praying and kind of appealing to the Lord and, like, you didn't have any words? I, I've been in that position where I'm like, God, like, I need you to do something. And uh, in my heart, I just, I, my mouth, I, nothing would come out. But from my heart, I know there was a depth and a cry that I believed that, that reached the Lord's, Lord's hearing, so I don't necessarily, even though he was yelling, the scriptures say he was yelling, I don't believe it's the volume that reached the Lord. I don't necessarily believe that. That's what what, made, what Jesus said. Who's this madman yelling so loud? Bring him over here. I think it was something different than that. I, I believe it was a different cry. I, I believe it was not a, an ordinary cry, a, a, but a cry of faith. Is more a cry of faith, more than the volume, a cry of faith. It's the cry of faith that reaches the Lord's ears and pierces his heart that says, no one else has the power or the ability to turn my situation around, to meet my need, but you, God. It's the cry of faith. And so Jesus calls for him. So his cry of faith reaches the Lord. Jesus stops and he calls for him. Now, I just want to point out, the devil would love for you and I to believe that the Lord doesn't care about us or hear our cries or his delay means denial. No, sometimes there's a wait on the Lord. There's a delay, but that doesn't mean denial. That's, we persist like Bartimaeus, right? First Peter 5, 7 says, cast your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. And so Psalm 138 verse 3, in the day when I cried out, The psalmist said, you answered me. You answered me. And many times it means grace and strength to endure what we're enduring. And it's when we look back, sometimes we don't always see what God is doing. We don't perceive what God is doing because we're in the midst of a difficult situation, a trial, a tribulation, a storm. But I'm almost certain once we get through and when we look back, we can see God's hand on our lives. Often we look back, it's like you can't see the forest for the trees kind of thing, right? In the middle of it, you're like, where are you? Because I think there's something inside of us that wants us to believe that because we're Christians, things won't go wrong. Once we, once we, can, once we can get over that in our Christian walk, it, it'll go much better for us and say, okay, God, if, if you want me to endure, then as long as you're with me, I'll continue, right? Suffering, suffering, suffering isn't in the way. It's part of the way in the Christian walk. Sometimes we think suffering's in the way. It's not. Suffering's not in the way. It is the way. There's suffering in this life. But the difference is God is with us and he's for us. And if he's for us, who could be against us, Paul said in Romans 8. And so in the day when I cried out, you answered me. So Jesus calls him and he does something very interesting. He casts off his garment and it, 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 and when he did this, it was in an, an act of faith. We might not understand in simply reading that what that means. So the, the garment for a blind man in that time, that garment would be what he would lay in front of him, and people would drop the money or the, the, the offering or the alms. They would put it on that on that garment that he laid in front of him. It was, it was a specific garment that, that the blind person would keep that indicates that they're blind. And so also that, that garment, they would wear it like a blanket to protect them from the weather and to keep them uh, warm and, shield, and also to shield them from the sun. And so this garment was really uh, part of his identity. It's very, it's very meaningful and useful to him. You and I may look at that garment and see no value in it. It's probably pretty worn and tattered. But for him, it's where he collected his alms to protect them from the weather and let everybody know who saw him, this is a man in need, so when he throws off that garment, he's really making a statement. It's, it's an act of faith, and so, really, what he's doing is he's giving up. He's he's uh, giving up what identified his disability, identity. He's he's literally saying, "I'm leaving. I'm getting up. I'm throwing away this. I'm throwing aside this garment and going to Jesus." He's saying he believes by faith. I'm leaving my life of blindness. Behind, And I believe that's what God does in all of our lives when he reaches us with the gospel and when he saves us. He's saying, I want you to leave your old life behind. You're now a new creation in Christ. You're not who you used to be anymore. You're, you're a son. You're a daughter of God. We don't live the way we used to live. He pulled us out, pulled us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're, we're, we're meant to be new in him. We're now in Christ. We're in Christ. So there's an, there's an analogy I use from Corinthians. When Paul's writing to the Corinthians, we, we see this long list of infractions and offenses towards God that's taking place. And at the same time, we, we hear Paul talking to them like, there's no gift that lacks among you. So they're pretty kind of out of whack in a lot of ways in their behavior and in their conduct. But at the same time, the Spirit of God is moving around them. But what he's telling them uh, in, in the first Corinthians, one of the things he's, he's saying to them, trying to, uh, to, 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 to uh, mark out and, disc- and tell them about Is he's basically telling them, listen, you can't act that way anymore. You're not in Corinth, you're in Christ. You're not, he's basically saying, stop acting that way. You're not in Corinth anymore. Stop acting like Corinthians. You're in Christ you follow what I'm saying? You're not in Corinth anymore. You're in Christ. Act like it. That's literally what he's telling them. Stop acting like a Corinthian. Start acting like you're in Christ. You're not in Corinth anymore. You physically reside there, but you're in Christ. He's saying Christians, those who call upon the name of the Lord, who've been saved by grace through faith in Christ, we don't act the way we used to. Let him who steals, steal no more. Let him who lies, lie no more right? There has to be a conduct. And before we, we made promises to God, to others and to ourselves and said, we won't continue this conduct. I remember making many promises, uh, to, to the, even to God, even though I wasn't really living my life for God. If, if you save me this time, I won't do this again. And I, had, I was powerless. But when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we put our faith and trust in him who died on the cross for our sins and rose on the third, third, uh, on the third day. And that very instant when we confess Christ, the spirit of God comes to dwell in us. And now from the inside out, God gives us the power to live the life he calls us to as we continue to trust and put our faith in him. So we're we're not in Hollister anymore. We're in Christ. You're not in Hollister anymore. You're in Christ. You're in Christ. So let's act like it. not saying you're not. I'm just saying let's all live up to the fact that we are in Christ now. And somebody might say, well, I tried. Well, I would say, be a Bartimaeus. Lord, I want to I want to stop doing this. Or, Lord, I want to live in a life that's pleasing and righteous and holy before you. Then just keep, just keep pleading. Keep asking God. Keep persisting in prayer. God, change me, Lord. I don't want to be a liar anymore. And some people think, well, my family, you know, everybody lies in my family, and that's just, that's just who we are, what we do. No, you're not, you're not part of that anymore. You're in Christ. You're, you're, you're what, what, what was in your family, inherited in your family before, in Christ can all change. By the power of God, by virtue of the Spirit of God dwelling within us. We have now from within, God ensured us that we could call. God would, God would never say, be holy as I am holy, if he had not given us the power from within to, to, to progress. Right? God's, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about progression. Always progressing towards holiness, towards righteousness, towards justice. Living the life that God calls us to, as indicated to us by the Scriptures. Right? So not Perfection but progression, right? This time, next Labor Day, right? We should all be a little holier, a little more Christ-like, right? Not perfection, but progression. And so ask that question next year. (laughs) or or Do you feel closer to God this year than you did last Labor Day? Amen? I don't know about you, but that testimony got me a little emotional. I never get tired of hearing redemptive stories. I mean, I love to hear the power when people share the stories, and it makes it more relatable, right? We can hear these great, you know, doctrinal teachings and, and theological precepts but like so I can know God is omnipotent but when I see the power of God actually impact somebody's life it just makes it that much more deeper and profound and so that's why the testimonies are so powerful but Bartimaeus he's by faith leaving his life to, his life of blindness leaving behind his old identity and really one last statement on identity you see that there's an attack on identity right now in our culture right right the, 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 the boy is a girl. Is the boy a girl or is he, is he a boy? Is a girl a girl or is she or is she a boy? Or, or there's now there's new new identities that are being constructed on the in-between. And it, and you see it's getting younger and younger, right? Target's like now well, did. They paid for it, but they try to com- confuse the identity issue even more by putting things in the front of the store. But it's not just Target. It's from, a, it's from media. It's from Uh, tv it's from movies and what is this and i said from four to 14 is when if a child gets saved they're impacted in uh, the the impression of of god on their hearts will most likely last for a lifetime if it's going to and it's the same thing the enemy is using trying to use the same tactic to confuse why does a four-year-old need to need to understand and choose a sexual identity what is that to me that's that's pure wickedness and evil Right? That's, that's no, nobody, not a boy or a girl, no person has ever existed that needs to determine their sexual identity at the age of four and be guided in a, in a misguided direction. Right? And if we, if we don't say it from a behind a the pulpit, then who else will say it? But that, that's, and we have to guard our children and make sure that the world and the media is not guiding our children towards selecting a sexual identity. And we need to, we need to help them understand at their level as we determine, discern as parents, when they're ready, uh, what the scriptures say. Right? The, the church supplements the family, but ultimately parents disciple our, we disciple our children. If my children don't end up serving the Lord in adulthood, I'll consider myself a failure, not the church. Sure, quiet in here. Right, it's my, it's my, God gave them to me. The body of Christ rallies around my children and loves them, right? And of course, exhibits Christ to them, exemplifies, and we're in community, right? Because community is important. Jesus created the church. It's not optional. Jesus, on, this, on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. No matter, no matter what happens, no matter how dark it looks out there, we are still the light of the world. Light always prevails over darkness, John 1, 5 says. And the, and the darkness could not overcome it. The darkness could not overcome it. So we just need to keep shining, keep shining, keep shining in Hollister, keep shining in Hollister. So he cast off his garment. And perhaps there's some things that we need to cast off in our lives. Maybe there's some things that God is calling us to cast off. Maybe there's a relationship someone's involved in that you need to finally just cast that relationship off. If it's not bearing fruit, it's not helping you in, in your relationship with God, but more hindering, maybe God may be calling somebody to cast off a relationship. Or, or maybe there's still a habit or a behavior or, or something that you carried over from before you knew the Lord that you're still doing. But in, somehow in your heart it keeps you unsettled and, and you know that it's not pleasing to the Lord. Or maybe, maybe today's the day where God is saying, let's cast that off. Let, let me help you. Call, cry out to me like Bartimaeus, and, and let me deliver you from that. But maybe there's something, right? Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, but I'll read verse 1. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let, let's throw off everything that hinders. And the sin that so easily entangles us, right? Sin always overpromises and un, but underdelivers. Right? Sin is so enticing, but once we get into it, we're like, oh no, why did I give in? T- why did I give in to this? It so easily entangles us, right? And and the devil can tempt us, but he can't make us do it. Right? Ultimately, we make the choice whether to sin or not, right? But once we make that 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 wrong choice, man, it gets untangled and it's, and it's hard to get out. It can, sometimes it can be very hard to get out, but if we repent, cry out to God for mercy, he will deliver us. He's faithful and he is just. So Bart, so I'm trying to move along a little quickly as I get ready to uh, land this plane. (laughs) When Bartimaeus gets to Jesus, the Lord asks him an unusual question. He says, what do you want me to do for you? What a great question. Right, But my first thought is, why would he ask a blind man, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't it obvious? I mean, there's, there's, there's an obvious answer, but so why would, he, why would he not just heal him of his sight? And Jesus knows all things. When he came, he knew that that's what Bartimaeus wanted. But he, he asked him, uh, what do you want me to do for you? So the Lord asked him that. And here's a, here's a thought for us. What if God were to ask you today, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus was ready with his answer. Would you be ready with an answer for the Lord? Is there something pressing on your heart right now? Something that you just love God to do? Maybe reach your, your children who right now aren't serving God or there's some other area of your life that you'd want him to do a miracle in? I believe that we can, we can present those things before the Lord at any time. I believe he would ask his children, what do you want me to do for you? If you would ask me, if you would ask me, I'll move. I'll move in your situation and your circumstance. Ask me. You know, I... I I had a time where I felt like, like prayer was being answered. Right, not just a God of prayer, but a God of answered prayer. I remember there's times, seasons in my life where I felt like God was just answering all kinds of prayers. Then I remember there's times where I felt like God, like, where are you? Right, and there's the self-examination question, you know, self-examining questions and stuff. And you know, I ask, but I don't, I don't point fingers at God or anything. And i was, I remember recently this year saying god i've been like there's some major things i've been praying about. And I just feel like i seen i don 't see anything you know the needle's not moving even slightly on this, then all of a sudden just it just felt like victory after victory and blessing after blessing and answer prayer out there and so we just have to wait on the Lord and trust the lord but and he's he's literally if if he were to ask me back then when i prayed a, when I prayed that prayer like God would like i don't understand um it's literally when on a What I would ask, if if I were in Bartimaeus' position, what do you want me to do for you? I poured out those prayers before the Lord, and all of a sudden, he just started answering them. And it was just so beautiful, and it's just a great reminder, right? Uh, anything God does for us is, is grace, right? Uh, we, you know, if he never did anything, another thing for us, we'd still, he'd still deserve our praise and our worship for eternity, right? The fact that he sent his son is enough to compel us to do that, but that God would answer any prayer. But I just feel like God is so faithful, and when we persist and we, and we, we cry out to him and just ask him, Lord, not from accusation, but God, I, like, uh, Lord, this, this is pressing on my heart. Where are you? And God's not God's not threatened by that. He'll, he hears our hearts and He hears our cries, and he, and He'll answer. We just if we're faithful, we we wait, uh, trust. Uh, God will answer in due season. So, I believe that the Lord wanted him to express His need and admit and admit His need before the Lord, and in expressing it, would be saying to the Lord, "I know that You can do this." Right? It, it, our prayers reflect our belief in God. What kind of prayers do we pray? That's a reflection of how how big we think our God is and how powerful and what he can do in in our lives. And so he wanted him to express it, to be specific. The Apostle James says in his letter, we have not because we ask not. So Bartimaeus says that I may receive my sight, acknowledging that Jesus was the one who can make the blind see. Matthew says, in his version, Jesus was moved with compassion. He touched his eyes and said, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately, so the Gospel of Mark uses the word immediately, throughout the, the gospel. It's known for the immediately the immediately gospel. He was he, Immediately he was healed and followed Jesus on the road. When Jesus touched his eyes, his place of need, the place that needed healing, uh, he received his sight. See, Jesus will touch whatever part of your life that may need healing. You may need healing in your marriage. You may need healing in your family. there would be an area of your life that needs to touch the power of God to touch it, to heal and restore it, If we cry out to him, he'll answer us. Now, I just want to conclude with these final thoughts. Bartimaeus represents humanity struggling for light. Blindness as a simile of man's ignorance and darkness is common in Scripture. The effect of blindness in a man reveals itself in so many ways, such as no direction, don't know where we are going, Getting in the way of others and leading others astray. not experience Blindness does not allow us to experience the beauty that is around us. Sinners need to see that sin has made us beggars. So we need to plead to God for mercy. And when we do, we will find it. And here's a last concluding thought. Is that Bartimaeus is standing before Jesus. He touches his eyes, he receives his sight. What's the first thing that blind Bartimaeus now can see? Jesus. That's the whole point of receiving our sight. We are lost in darkness and in sin. We're blind, spiritually blind. God saves us. He opens our eyes so that we can see Christ and all the beauty that's contained within Christ that God has given us through his son. First thing he sees, what, a, what, what more beautiful thing can you see than to open your eyes and see Jesus there, and what did he do? God doesn't touch us. God doesn't heal us, restore us just to do it. Bartimaeus did what we should all do when Christ, Christ touches our lives and heals and restores our lives, delivers us. He followed him on the road. He went from being on the side of the road to being on the road, gets a vision of Jesus once his, his healing and his sight is healed and restored. And then he follows Jesus. All of this is just drawing us to, to be close and deeper and closer relationship with him that we might follow him on the road. So God calls us, encounters us, heals us, and we follow. He went from the side of the road to following Jesus on the road. Jesus wants to knock down walls in our lives. Will, will you or are you ready to leave everything behind and follow him if you haven't yet? Will you? Are you ready to? Or will you be hindered by all the stuff that, that you're holding on to in this life? I think today could be the day that God's speaking to each and every one of us to let go any, of anything that's getting in the way of us following him completely. Are you willing to accept the truth and allow it to set you free? Or will you remain spiritually blind because it's familiar? Because it's familiar, right? We're We're comfortable in the way we're living our lives. We've adapted to it, but it's not the fullness. It's not the life and life in abundance that Christ promises us in John 10. And I want to tell everybody here today, Jesus loves you, and he demonstrated his love for you by dying on the cross for your sins. And if you put your faith and your trust in him today, ask him to forgive you of your sins and receive him as your Savior and Lord, the Bible says you will be saved and receive eternal life. Would you bow your heads with me, please? I want to I just you to listen. And if you feel far from God today, I want to just lead you in a simple prayer. It's not a magic formula. They're simple words, but obviously your heart would have to be in agreement with the words that we pray. But I encourage you to repeat these words with me. Uh, Heavenly Father, would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, I come to you today asking you for the forgiveness of my sins. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Please wash them away in the blood that he shed on the cross of Calvary. Come into my heart, be my savior and my Lord and help me to live for you the rest of my days to follow you on the road, wherever you would lead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer from your heart, the Bible says that you're saved, you received eternal life. That's where it begins, by putting our faith and trust in God through what his son did on the cross when we believe in him. So let me me pray to conclude. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. We're so grateful for these powerful stories that illustrate your love, your mercy, your compassion. Lord, they were not just isolated to a time of New Testament history that we, that we study in the scriptures, but you continue knocking down walls. You continue healing, restoring, delivering today. You're, you're still merciful. You're still powerful. You're still a provider, a healer. Uh, you still fight for us, Lord. You are with us and you are for us. The New Testament uh, fulfills what was promised in the Old Testament. So, Lord, I ask you to help us, Lord, to to cast off anything that need to be cast off and put on whatever needs to be put on, but mostly, Lord, that we would just trust you more and more each and every day, knowing that you're with us and you're for us. Bless your people here at Grace. Lord, bless those who will watch this online, continue to do great and mighty things in this place. We thank you for what you're doing. Uh, Bless every family represented here. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we say amen. Bless you. Let's give the Lord a hand, please.